Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Have your Bibles, you go ahead and be turning to James, the book of James, chapter 5. The book of James, chapter 5. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege we have this morning of gathering here and to praise the name of Jesus, for He is worthy of all honor and praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross to pay the price for our sin, that we might be saved, that we might be redeemed, we might have a home in heaven and hope for life here on this earth. I thank you, Lord, that you are here in our midst, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to do a work in our hearts. And as we've sung praises to you, we know that the word says that You inhabit the praises of your people, so we know your promise is that you're here with us right now. You're in the midst of us to speak to us. We want to open the word, and we want to learn some things today that would help us. Help us to serve you. Help us to be empowered by you. Help us to walk faithfully to you, to be a witness in this world in which we live, and to accomplish your purpose that you have created us for. Thank you for the chance to be together as a family. And thank you for those who are visiting with us. We pray your blessings on them, that they know that they are loved by you and they're loved by us because they're your children. Thank you for the truth that you're going to present to us, and we'll give you praise and glory in it. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been focusing this summer on the book of James as we're talking about practical Christianity. James is very practical. What do you do and how do you live the Christian life? And here in James chapter 5 over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the fact that there's truths and some priorities that are very important if we're going to be successful in the Christian journey, and that is prayer and praise. We need to know how to pray, and we need to know how to praise. And primarily been focusing right now about this aspect of prayer. And last week, we introduced to you three truths of how to have an effective prayer life. How to have that effectual, fervent prayer that what? That accomplishes much. Do you want much to get accomplished in your prayer life? I would hope you do. And if you want much to be accomplished, how do you effectively pray? We shared with you three truths last week. One of those things is that if you're going to effectively pray, it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, it says that you need to pray in the name of Jesus. Remember that? You need to pray in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean just tagging that phrase at the end of your prayer. That's okay if you do. But to pray in the name of Jesus means that the only way that you and I have the right to come before the throne of grace, the only way we have the opportunity to make our intercessions, our petitions to God, is because of what Jesus has done for us and the work that Jesus accomplished. And what did he do for us? He made us a righteous person. Remember it says the effective prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. And how did you become righteous? How did I become? It's not what I did. It's not what you do. It says our righteous deeds, our good deeds are like filthy rags. So how can we be righteous? It's because Jesus did it. And therefore we can pray and we come in the name of Jesus because we recognize he is our means where we go through the veil to go to the Holy of Holies, to enter in there at the mercy seat of God. So we learned that we have to pray in the name of Jesus. second thing we learned is found in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. 
And that is that we must pray believing. We need to pray believing. We have to have faith when we pray. Faith that God hears and that God is going to answer our prayers. And we talked about that. That's not for you and me to go along the side and say, well, I need to work on my faith more. I need to work on my faith. No. You really receive that faith as a gift from God. We focused on that in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We talked about that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And so when you get in the word of God and you find the word of God regarding a promise or situation you're facing, God literally bursts faith in your life. It's called the grace of faith. God, God bursts that faith so that you can believe him for what he has promised you. And therefore, we pray believing because we know we've gotten a word from God, a promise from God, and he bursts that belief within our heart and our life. The third thing we talked about then is that in order to have an effective prayer life, not only in the name of Jesus and pray believing, but we also need to pray according to the will of God. You remember that? That's found in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. He'll focus on that. It says, if you pray according to my will. Well, how do we know that we're praying according to God's will? We know that because in God's word, he will reveal his will. That's why it's so important for us to be in the word of God. In the word of God, that word produces faith within us to believe. And in that word, it also helps us to pray according to God's will. Those three principles are how you have an effective prayer life. Now, I shared with you last week as we closed out. How many of us find it easier to remember principles or to remember an illustration? Most of us can relate to an illustration better than we can principles. So what did James do? James says, well, let me give you an illustration. Let me show you somebody who had an effective prayer life. Let me show you somebody that when he prayed, things happened. And he introduces us to the man Elijah. The man Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. And Elijah is going to serve for us as an example of an effective prayer. Okay, so listen to what it says here in James chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read the last uh, phrase of verse 16, and we'll look at verse 17. The last phrase of 16 is, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That's what we're focusing on, right? And then listen to what he says in verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, those two verses are basically saying, James is saying, now, if you want to find somebody who's an effective prayer, don't you think Elijah would be a good example? So what you need to do is go back and study the life of Elijah, and you're going to find out in the life of Elijah that the reason he was an effective prayer is because of those principles that he taught us, those three principles of how you pray. So let's do that today, all right? Let's focus in on Elijah. And he, he introduces Elijah by saying that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Here's the first thing you need to write down in your notes, if you're taking notes, is this. Elijah was not considered some super saint, some special person who received the answers to the, his prayers, but to everybody else doesn't get those answers. He said, Elijah was just like us. He was a man just like you and me. He was a person just like us. 
He was a sinful man. He, he did things that were right, and he didn't do things that were so right. And, and he basically says, go back and look and see how Elijah is that example. So, turn your Bibles back to 1 Kings chapter 17. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17 and, verse, and chapter 18 will focus on Elijah. Let me introduce him to you. The first thing you find about Elijah in verse 1 of chapter 17, he comes on the scene and he immediately goes and tells King Ahab not so good a news. That's what he says verse nine, verse 1 of chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite was of the settlers of Gilead. So to Ahab, he said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's, that's the way he's introduced. First thing you hear about Elijah, he comes to King Ahab, who was a wicked king, and he says, now here's what God's told me, and this is what I'm here to reveal to you. It's not going to rain on this earth. It's not going to rain here in Israel. It's going to be a drought, and there's no rain, not even any dew, is not going to happen until it comes by my word. And he said, until I'm the one who speaks that. Well, that is a bold thing to say, isn't it? That's a pretty bold thing to say in regard to it, but that's how he's introduced. Then what happens? Well, if you'll follow the story on, he receives a word from God. And the word from God tells him this. You're to go to the brook Cherith. You go to the brook Cherith. And when you go to the brook Cherith, there I'm going to have ravens to come and feed you twice a day. And that's exactly what happened. He went to the brook Cherith. He stayed there. Birds came to feed him twice a day. Does that happen in your life? All right. I mean, they come and feed him twice a day. He stays at the brook Cherith until the brook dries up. And when the brook dries up, he receives, follow in your, in your text, he receives another word from God that tells him to go to Zarephath, the city of Zarephath. And when he goes to the city of Zarephath, it says, there will be a widow there who will provide for you? Now, you've got to remember there's a drought that's going on. The brook Cherith is dried up. But what does it do? He picks up and he goes to Zarephath. Whenever he goes to Zarephath, he sees this widow. And she's out gathering sticks in order to make a fire. And she's gathering up those sticks to make a fire because she has a little bit of oil, a little bit of meal in order for her to make a cake for her and her son. Whenever she's gathering that up, he asks her, what are you doing? She says, I'm making the cake. I'm gathering this up to make a cake for, for me and my son, and we will eat, and then we will die. You know what was she saying? All I have is enough meal, all I have is enough oil for me to make one last meal for us, and we will eat, and we'll have nothing else after that. You know what Elijah says? Do this. Go and make me a cake first. <laughs> Go make me a cake first. Remember, he's the man of God. He represents God. Go, go and you make me a cake first. And once you make me a cake, then you make you a cake. And there will be meal and there will be oil. And it will never, ever give out until the rain shall come. Well, she had faith enough to go and to make him a cake. And you know what happened? The meal or the oil never ran out until, until what? Until the rain would finally come. What a miracle. Another miracle happens. Well, the, in the midst of that story, you find out that the widow's son dies, and Elijah brings him back to life, okay, brings him back to life. Then beginning in chapter 18, you find out that finally, after about three and a half years, God tells uh, him, you are now to go and to see King Ahab. 
Elijah, you are to go and to talk to King Ahab. What do you think the mood of King Ahab was about that time? Three and a half years of not raining because Elijah said it wouldn't rain except by his word and, and it hasn't rained. What do you think Ahab was feeling? He was not happy. Matter of fact, he had sent people all over the place looking for Elijah. He wanted to kill him because of what he had done. Well, Elijah goes and he finds a man named Obadiah and he says, Listen, I, I want you to go and tell the king that, uh, that we need to meet. We need to talk. Matter of fact, I want to meet him at Mount Carmel. I want to meet him at the Mount Carmel experience. So Obadiah goes and tells King Ahab, and they come to Mount Carmel. Now, this first part of, of his life is basically this. This is where he is living his life just normally. He's, he's having provision. God's taking him through provision. He's being obedient to what God says. That's what life's supposed to be like, isn't it? I mean, we're supposed to be dependent on God to provide for us, and, and we're supposed to be living according to his word, and, and, and we're being obedient to what God says. And that's just the example of Elijah. That ought to be your, your life example. That, that ought to be where you are. In your life, there are going to be a lot of days that's just you're, you're having God provide for you, and you're trying to be obedient to what the Lord says do, all right? And that's the example of what happens with Elijah. He's obedient to what God says. God's providing for him during those three and a half years until God has accomplished his purpose. Then, beginning in chapter 18, about verse 9, you find that he has what we would call a mountaintop experience. You know what I'm talking about when I'm saying a mountaintop experience, don't you? Have you ever had a mountaintop experience in your life? Boy, I mean, it's, it's something super that happened to you. It's either a spiritual experience or a financial experience or, a, or an occasion in your job or something. But there is a, there is a mountaintop. It, it is way beyond the normal. Well, he has that mountaintop experience in chapter 18. And when was that? That's whenever he called all of Israel together at Mount Carmel. And he calls them there along with King Ahab, along with the prophets of Baal. Now remember the prophets of Baal, they worshiped a false god. And and Jezebel and Ahab had led the whole nation of Israel to worship Baal and the gods of Baal. So he calls those 450 prophets to Mount Carmel. And there at Mount Carmel, it's going to be a high experience. It's going to be a mountaintop. It's going to be the most significant thing that ever happened in his life. He calls them there. And here's what he says. It's time, O Israel, to find out whether or not God is God or whether the gods of Baal are God. And he says, this is what I propose. I propose that there be a contest. There'll be a contest. And the contest is this, that the prophets of Baal and I will both, we will prepare an altar, we'll prepare the sacrifice, we'll place it on that, and the God that we pray to who will answer by fire, he is the real God. He is the real God. And Ahab and Israel says, sounds like a good idea. We ought to do that. So he looks at the prophets of Baal and he says, there's 450 of you, so you can easily prepare the altar and the sacrifice and place it on there faster than I can. So you go first. So what they do, they prepared the altar, they put the wood upon it, they killed the sacrifice, placed it on there, and then they began to pray. 
And they prayed for the God of Baal to answer by fire. And they prayed for the God of, of Baal to answer by fire. They became so intense about it that they would weep and they would wail and they would cry and they would yell. They even began to cut themselves to show their sincerity that their God would finally respond. And Elijah the whole time is kind of making fun of them. He said, maybe you need to cry a little louder. Maybe, maybe your God's away on a... On a vacation maybe you need to call him back or maybe he's busy somewhere your god's not answering and and they cannot get their god to answer why because there is no god Baal is no god he's a false god well then it's time for elijah and elijah prepares his altar prepares that sacrifice and then he says uh, about it, he said this is just too easy for god he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go get some water. And I want you to pour it all over the sacrifice and all over the wood. And I want you to pour it where it runs into ditches around the altar. I want you to understand that when God, my God answers, it's not an accident. This is something that God can handle wet wood. Amen? And he gets all of it really good and wet and soaked up. And then he goes and simply prays a prayer. And this is his prayer. God, Israel needs to know that you are God. Israel needs to know that you are God, and I just pray, God, that you'll answer and come out of the sky with fire and come and consume this so that they'll know that you are God. And the fire of heaven comes down, consumes the sacrifice, the altar, sucks up the water, and it is all gone because the God Jehovah is the real God. Amen and amen. (laughs) That's called a mountaintop experience, amen? And whenever, they, whenever that happened, all of a sudden, Israel says, there is but one God. And their hearts were turned back and revived towards their God. They went and took the prophets of Baal, 450 of those false prophets, and they killed them. Why did they kill them? Because it was already in the law that if you bear false witness and you are not truly a prophet, you will deserve to die. Those 450 prophets of Baal died. Not only that, whenever, whenever it happens, as you continue to read, you know what happens next? What happens next in regard to it is he simply says this to Ahab. Ahab, you need to get in your chariot and you need to go home to Jezreel because the roar, there is a roar of a strong shower that is coming. You know what he said? There's a roar of a strong. They hadn't had rain in three and a half years. <laughs> And he says, a roar of a strong shower coming. And it says, then he goes, Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he crouches down. And when he crouches down, he begins to pray. And he's praying for God to answer and to bring the rain. For God to bring the rain. God had already told him when he told him to go and speak to Ahab. He said, it's time for the rain to come. He goes and he prays. And he has his servant to go look back over towards the Mediterranean. And you can see it from Mount Carmel. And he looked back over there. Seven times he comes back. He goes back and forth. And he said, I don't see any clouds. After the seventh time, he says, there is a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's all it takes. And whenever that that cloud began to grow and began to rain, and he told Ahab, you better hurry up because there's a storm that's coming. And Ahab made his way to Jezreel, and Elijah, it says, he girded up his loins, and he ran and beat him. That's pretty good running, isn't it, to beat the chariot? He beat him to Jezreel. That is the end of what we would call the mountaintop experience. That's a pretty good experience, amen? What a wonderful experience he had. And it would be great to let you know that 
Elijah in his life that he lived that normal life. He had provisions and he was obedient. And then all of a sudden he has this mountaintop experience. And then that's all his life was. But that's not all the story. <laughs> it's not, that's not all the story. Because when you, when, when you get into the, to the rest of the story and, and you find out this is chapter 18. The other was chapter 17. In chapter 18, when you look at that, something happens. You remember what happened after he, he had the answer? Remember what happened whenever, after this mountaintop experience? He goes through what is called a valley or a wilderness experience. You know what that means, don't you? That means when you've come off the mountain, <laughs> when you're at a low point in your life. Did you know Elijah had a low point in his life? Did you know he had valley or wilderness experiences in his life? Why? Because he's a man just like you. He's a person just like you. And you're going to have that normal thing of life where provision and obedience, and you're going to have that mountaintop experience, and you're also going to have that valley or that wilderness. And he had it. Remember how it happened? He got a message from somebody. Who was that somebody? Ahab's wife, Jezebel. That's right. You know what Jezebel said? said you, he said, may it, I die, may I die, if by this time tomorrow you are not dead. You are going to be dead. Just like the prophets of Baal, you are going to be dead. Now, hold on a second. Elijah is one of my favorite people in all the Bible. What do you want Elijah to say at that time? I want to say, come on, Jezebel. I can handle you. I'm not afraid of you. But is that what happens? No. Do you know what our hero does? He drops off his Superman cape. And all of a sudden, he becomes human. And he totally goes into the wilderness. You know what it says about him? Here's what it says. Six characteristics that you never find anywhere else in his life. In the valley, you'll find these things. Here's the first thing it says. He was afraid. Look at it. That he was afraid. Now, he had never known fear Whatever, whatever Elijah, God told Elijah to do, he'd just go to Ahab and say, hey, it's not going to rain on the earth. He'd go to Brook Cherith, go to Zarephath. Wherever he went to, opposing all of Israel, standing against Israel and 450 prophets of Baal, he had never shown any fear. But all of a sudden now, for the first time in the wilderness experience, he has fear. He has fear. Here's a second characteristic he never had. It says he ran away. He ran away. Never had it pictured him as run away. You know what Elijah always did? He always ran to. He ran to something. He ran to Ahab. He ran to the brook Cherith. He ran to Zarephath. He ran to Mount Carmel. He was always going to something, not away from something. There's a big difference between running to something and running away from something. Do you know that? If you're running to something, you've got to know where to go. Isn't that true? I mean, if you run to something, you've got to know what direction to go. We're sitting in Anniston. If you're going to go to Oxford, you know you better go south, right? Because if you don't go south and you go north, you're not going to get there. Going to something, you have to have direction. But that's not true when you run away. When you run away, you can go any direction you want to. Just leave the premises. You go north, south, east, west. You go any way you want to. Just get out of the way. And that's exactly what he did. He ran away for the very first time. Here's the third thing. He has a servant. That servant is actually a student who follows him who's going to be another prophet. And he's influencing him in all his life. Look what happens. It says whenever he begins to run away, it says he tells that servant, 
you stay here. You know what he means? He said, I don't want you to follow me anymore. I don't want you to be influenced by me anymore. I want you to stay put. I'm through influencing people. Whenever you're failing at something, you really don't want anybody to watch. Amen? Whenever you're having a rough time, you don't want anybody's your audience. And so he says, no, you're not going, you're not going to go with me. You're going to stay right here. Here's the fourth thing. You know what it says he did? And he ran into the wilderness. Why do you go to the wilderness? There's nothing in the wilderness. The only reason you go to the wilderness is you want to get lost. Isn't that right? There's nothing in the wilderness. There's nothing out there. So he, in his life, wanted to get lost. He didn't want anybody to know where he was. I don't even think he wanted God to know where he was. Isn't that true? Hold on a second. Have you ever been there? Have you ever, have you ever had enough failure? Failure in your life or had a rough day or you've been in that wilderness where you you hope God doesn't even know where you are? Wow. Here's the fifth thing. This one's kind of funny to me. The fifth thing he says, and then he prayed that he might die. You say, well, why is that funny? Well, Jezebel told him if he'd just stay where he was, he's going to die. And now he spent all this energy running away and he's praying to die. We men are confused, aren't we, ladies? We're confused. I mean, all he had to do is stay still. He wants to die. He never had wanted to die. He was busy living. He was busy living. And here's the sixth thing he says. He says, and it is enough. That's what he said. It is enough. In other words, he says, I have done all that I'm supposed to do. I've accomplished my purpose. Life is over. I don't need to do another thing. I don't have anything, any other purpose in life. It is enough. That's one of the lowest points he had ever gotten into his life. He had a wilderness experience. So whenever you have that wilderness experience, whenever you have that time, when you feel like you're in the valley instead of on the mountain, remember this, Elijah was just like you. But he still was an effective prayer, amen? Aren't you glad that our effective prayers are not based on the fact that we have to be perfect or that we have to be super saints or that we have to always be on the mountaintop? You can pray while yet in the valley, and God will hear you. Well, he needs God to minister to him. Have you ever been to a place where you needed God to minister to you? You have, whether you know it or not. We all need God to minister to us, especially when we're in the wilderness experience, and God comes to minister to him. What did God do? Well, the first thing is, whenever he, uh, he lays down and he sleeps, he gets Woke up by an angel. He gets woke up by an angel. An angel of God, a messenger from God, wakes him up. And and that lets you know this thing about it. When he's wanting to get lost, you can't ever get lost from God. Amen? No matter where you try to hide, you cannot get lost from God. He knows all the time where you are. And he's always going to be there for you. You might can hide from somebody else, but you can't hide from God. Whenever you get under the covers thinking you're hiding, he's already under there. Amen? He knows where you are. And the angel of the Lord comes to him. And he wakes him up. And what does he have there? He has something to eat and something to drink. And the reason he gives him something to eat and something to drink, because he's letting him know this, it's not time for you to die. It's not time for you to die. You came out here in the wilderness. There's nothing to eat out here. 
came out here to the wilderness, there's nothing to drink out here. But I'm preparing it for you because it's not time for you to die. And he tells him to eat and get the nourishment. Then he tells him to rest. And he comes back and feeds him again. And, and he tells him to rest. And he says, I'm building you up because you've got a journey that you've got to take. You've got a journey to go to the mountain of God. Hold on a second. He can't be running away anymore. He's got to run to something. God says, you're running away. It's over. You're going to run to something. I've got a place where you need to be. And that's Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. In other words, Mount Sinai where the law was given, where God revealed himself to Moses. And he says, it's going to take you 40 days to get there, and you're going to need the strength of this food and all this to get there, but you have something that you need to do and something I have for you to do. So he travels there, and he comes to the mountain of God. And when he comes to the mountain of God, God asks him a question. Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, do you think God didn't know why Elijah was there? God wasn't asking him about location or, or the purpose of location. He's asking Elijah, Elijah, how'd you get here? How'd you get here? Spiritually, how'd you get here? Where are you? He wanted him to examine himself. And then the next thing is God shows him magnificent things. He shows him a mighty wind that rends the mountains. He shows him an earthquake. He shows him fire. But every time he shows him one of those things, it says, but God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the fire. Why were those things given? Because God wanted Elijah, remember this, hey, Elijah, the reason you're afraid, the reason you were afraid is because you took your eyes off of me. You put your eyes on a situation or a circumstance in life. You put your eyes on Jezebel in that case. Don't look at her. Look at me. And I have all the power of the wind and the earthquake and the fire. You don't have to be afraid when you're serving me, when you're with me. That's a ministry of God. Amen. But it says that God wasn't in any of those things. But a still, small voice spoke to him. And God spoke to him, asking him that same question and God telling him something. You know what God tells him? It's not enough. It's not enough. Your life is not over. And remember this, you're not the only one who serves me. There are still others who have not bowed the knee, but there's something for you to do. You're to go to anoint two kings, and you're to anoint a prophet. Another prophet, his name is Elisha, and he is to be your servant. In other words, you're not through influencing people either. I've got something for you to do, and I have someone for you to minister to, somebody for you to influence. See, what God did in all that, he answered every one of those questions. You don't have to be afraid because I'm almighty God. You don't run away. You run to the mountain of God. It doesn't matter if you're trying to get hit in the wilderness. I know where you are at all points and all times. And whenever you don't want to have a servant and be a person of influence, I still have you to be that person of influence. It's not enough. There's something else for you to do, and it is not time for you to die. God ministers to him at every level along the way. And God will do that for you. See, what what God wants us to understand in his word is this, that Elijah is a man just like us. 
He has those normal days of life when provision and obedience, and he has the mountaintop experience, and, and then he has the valley of, of experiences in the wilderness, and then God comes and meets him where he is and lifts him up and puts him back on the path. That's exactly my path. That's exactly your path. I have those normal days, man, and I, I can tell you about some mountaintop experiences I've had in my life, and praise God for the mountaintop, but I can also tell you some wilderness and valley experiences I've had whenever the doldrums would hit would be hitting me and all of a sudden God comes along and picks me up because sometimes I've learned more in the valley than I did on the mountaintop when God has ministered to me Elijah is a man just like you and just like me but here's the truth about him he was an effective prayer he was so effective that he prayed it didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years and then he prayed again and it poured forth its rain he was an effective prayer, which means that you and I can be an effective prayer. Because what? Because we live by the same principles that he did. What do we say with those three principles? Here's three principles. First one is you got to have a relationship with God. Amen? you got to be, for us in the New Testament, it's a time that we have a relationship with God because of the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And the only reason that I can stand before Almighty God is because I have a relationship with him. Elijah was on that side of the cross. He doesn't know about Jesus, but you know what he was? He was an anointed man of God, a righteous man called by God to be a prophet of God, filled with God's spirit to accomplish his purpose. He had right standing with God, chosen by God, just like we've been chosen by God. So he has the same position that we have, the same position that we have. But the second of those things is he had to pray with faith. He had to pray with faith. But how do you get faith? How do you have faith? I think he prayed with pretty good faith. What do you think? Go up to Ahab and say, King Ahab, it's not going to rain till I, till I say it will. <laughs> that's, that's pretty bold, amen? Uh, it's not going to rain until I say it will. And then another time he has great faith is when he tells Ahab after Mount Carmel, you need to get in your chariot and go down because the rains are coming. Hadn't rained in three and a half years. How does he have such faith? How does he have such faith? Because he's just a man of faith? No, because I shared with you last week, the way you have that great faith is you get a word from God. Amen? A word from God. The third thing, though, was we have to pray according to God's will. Elijah had to be praying according to God's will. What was God's will? God's will was that it's not going to rain on the earth. It is not going to rain on the earth until I've accomplished my purpose. Until I've... He gave that word to Elijah. Now, if you look at chapter 17, verse 1, and it doesn't say anything about him getting a word, but you know he had to get that word. You know how you know he got that word? Because everything else in his life was always about that word. Why did he go to Zarephath? God told him to. Why did he go to Cherith, the brook Cherith? God told him to. Why did he go to tell, to find uh, Ahab at Mount Carmel? God told him to. See, this man just did what God told him to do. So the reason he knew it was according to God's will is because God had spoken to him and said, you got to go tell Ahab that it's not going to rain. That was the very life he lived. That was the essence of how he walked in his journey, that God had given him the word. You don't think it just came in, in Elijah's mind and said, hey, I don't think it'll rain on the earth anymore. No, it originated with God. Everything originates with God. The will of God, the faith to believe, it all originates with God. 
And the reason he had the faith and the reason he had the boldness is because he was knowing it was according to God's will. When it comes to the time for it to rain again, it was God who said to him, Listen, you go and reveal yourself to Ahab, for it is time for it to rain, for the rains to come. See, it was the will of God. So whenever he knows that this is the will of God, and he knows that God has told him this by the word, he goes in his righteous position, believing that what God said is going to happen, is going to happen, knowing that what he's praying is according to God's will, and the rain stop, and three and a half years later, the rains come. Why? Because an effective prayer is a righteous one in right standing, who according to the will of God, knows the will of uh, the word of God, knows the will of God, and has birthed the faith in them to claim it and to hold it and believe it, and it brings about God answering through effective prayer. Now, Elijah is the answer. He is the example. He is the reason that whenever you might say, it's impossible for me to pray. I don't think I can pray. I don't think I can be effective. I don't think I can shake heaven and earth. Let me tell you something. You have that position in Christ, and God wants you to do it, and he, want, he needs you to do it in this world, and he allows you to do it in this world if you will pray those ways in the name of Jesus, believing God's word, believing and knowing that it is according to God's will, you can pray. And when the old devil comes up to you, now hold on a second, you awake, punch somebody, make them, up, make them wake up a minute, all right? When the old devil comes up to you and he says, nah, you don't have that power to pray. Nah, you can't do that. You better get somebody else to pray. You better go find somebody else to pray for you because you can't, you can't really pray like that. And what you need to do is to take the word of God, book of James, hold it up, shake it in the old devil's face and say, you know, based on James chapter 5, based on James chapter 5, I have all the qualifications that are necessary for effective prayer. I am not perfect, and neither was Elijah. But I know how to pray in the name of Jesus. I know how to pray believing that God answers. And I know how to pray according to God's will because it's revealed to me in God's word. And you can hold that word, and you can hold that position that you have in all boldness, realizing that there is effective praying going on. See, the devil doesn't want you to know that. The devil, if the devil can keep you from knowing the power you have and the position you have and, and how to pray effectively, then you will be paralyzed spiritually. And God does not want you paralyzed. You know what God wants? God wants to see the power of heaven come to this earth he wants the will of God that is going on in heaven right now to be the will of God coming to this earth. He wants to reveal himself strong. But do you know who it is that's going to bring heaven to this earth? Hold on a second. You know who it's going to be? It's the children of God who pray in the name of Jesus, believing who will see the power of heaven come to this earth. And the devil knows that more than you do. So he wants to battle you all along the way. Whenever he's battling you, he says, you're not perfect. Just tell him, yeah, that makes me qualified. Amen. (laughs) I'm qualified for neither was Elijah perfect. But he prayed. God answered. 
You pray, God answers. And the importance of getting in His Word builds your faith, helps you know that you're praying according to God's will. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.